All right. How you doing, folks? Feeling good? Hope so. Um, if not, figure out the way. Exercise. I don't know. <laughs> Cook something. I don't um Anyway, it's important we feel good. Uh, I feel great about this conversation I just had with Eric Harland. He's he's kind of one of the, the great drummers of our time, mostly known uh, for stuff in in what people call jazz. Um, but beyond that, and he, he he's kind of the most in demand drummer of of his generation. He's on over two hundred recordings, and he's uh, only in his mid thirties. He has uh, done great work with Betty Carter, Joe Henderson, McCoy Tyner, Michael Brecker, Terrence Blanchard. You get the idea. The Marsalises, Wayne Shorter, Saving Glover, and all the, you know, Esperanza, everybody. He plays with everybody. Um, And I don't know if you got a chance to hear a few weeks ago, or no, maybe a few months ago, I did something with the great percussionist Zakir Hussain. And Eric Harland will be on a show with Zakir coming up April 24th, um, 2019. And uh, that is, he's going to play Town Hall with Zakir Hussein's Masters of Percussion with the, um, the Kerala drummers from uh, southwestern India and um, Miladri Kumar on sitar so that's that's going to be amazing and uh we had a great conversation it's really cool and uh we i just started off asking about this amazing album that you should check out uh sangam or sangam um with charles it's just a trio with charles lloyd and zakir saying really amazing um album and uh, we started there, and I hope you dig it. Yeah, Charles Lloyd wanted to uh, do this group called Sangam, uh, which was, you know, meaning the, the, the meeting of, you know, the three rivers. So that's the way he was looking at it, like he was... I was the Rio Grande because I'm from Texas, and you know Charles was the Mississippi, and then uh, I, I don't even know which river. <laughs> that Zach the from. Ganga, the, the Ganga, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and um, wow, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we, that, that that project's really successful. Like, I mean, in terms of uh, that, that's kind of the area I work at in New York. Uh-huh. It's like uh, Indian music, mostly producing and playing and stuff. And that album, like. It's so fresh. It kind of like pushes the limits of, of what's been done with Indian classical music. Oh, um, you know, it's, it's fire. Um, I mean, that's cool. I mean, Charles is one of those kind of guys. Uh, you know, he's just always willing to try things. You know, whether it's something that's going to take off or not. But he tends to have a good knack of something that's missing. Um, that hasn't been put out there and he's just willing to take the chance and um and even more so um not just the idea of it but you know even during the process of it because the first thing you know we didn't rehearse at all so that whole live recording we did was the first time we ever played and it was a live show wow yeah yeah. and so all we did was get sounds and sound check and you know I remember Zakir being like you know Saeed you know (laughs) what we playing I was like I don't don't even know (laughs) and uh, and Charles didn't say a word and then even more so (laughs) it just gets better as soon as we started the show Charles came out and just started playing piano and then Zakir were both sitting over there like wow okay and then even after that he looked over at me and told me to come over and start playing the piano with him and then asked Zakir to start singing and so we were immediately off the bat like that was just even we were surprised by the whole thing that had just started and that's what began singing that's how it all started 
Wow. Yeah, and some of that stuff with you playing the, the kind of prepared piano where you're holding the strings uh-huh. and Zach, you're singing, that's some of the, to me, some of the like the heaviest tracks on that album. Like it, it, it totally works and you yeah. know, it opens up this new kind of like sonic territory. Oh, man. It was it was fun and it was on the whim. And uh, and I think that's, you know, in a way, that's that's just a testament to I always hate to put myself in the conversation, but it's it's a testament to good musicianship that no matter what's given to you, you know, all you got to do is just, you know, find the best way you can to make music. You know, like I always have conversations with people. I say you can be smart, but I think the key thing is to be intelligent, meaning that, you know, taking whatever you have and knowing how to utilize it for the, for the best of the whole situation. And, um, and I think that's what Zakir and I did because given that we didn't know anything that was going on, we were like, all right, you know, you know, I don't want the frequency of the piano to be too loud to cover up his vocals. So, you know, I'm going to mute the piano. And also by muting the piano in a way, it, it tends to have whatever that traditional sound that I, from my ears, have heard like in world music and uh, something that just tends to work, uh, especially with tabla or, you know, with with an instrument that's not naturally, you know, loud sounding, kind of like more like westernized music or westernized uh, instruments. And um, and that's what we did. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That muting thing is not like the classical Western concept. <laughs> you exactly. know, it's like it's that's like the African exactly. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So I feel like, I mean, I never met Charles Lloyd, but he's. My, the vibe I get from him is that he's he's one of these cats who like the music is not just about music. It's like a, it's like a lived kind of philosophy. You know, is that is that am I onto something? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, Charles is you know, you know, he's a he's a variety of of, of characters. So it's it's interesting. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Charles is very you know spiritually inclined and very intuitive and you know uh i think the main word for me is just he's just very sensitive but sensitive in the way like you know he really responds to the emotion of the music and he allows the emotion of the music to really you know uh emulate you know within him like it's it's a, it's a relationship and you've you've gotten to play with some of these a lot a lot of the the kind of you know giants who kind of created this this music. Oh, man. Like, is there a, a uh, something that you see in common with with that older generation that might well, might yeah. not still be there or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the key thing I see in common is is the the level of just dedication. And um, that they have to the music, like how important the music was to them. Like it, it wasn't just about making money per se, even though money was, you know, they were like, yeah, you want to get paid. And, you know, because they came from a time when, you know, the fees weren't as good as they should have been. And they spent a lot of years, you know, doing the work, you know, to make sure that the next generation could benefit from from having for, from having better fees from playing the music which, you know, sadly has gone down again, but, you know, they did the work. And, like, I remember the first time I got called to play with, like, Joe Henderson, uh, the realness of who he was as an individual, that's something that the older generation just had off the bat. They were just so real and honest with you from the get-go. I feel like, you know, our generation now, like, we try so hard to analyze people to the point to where, because we want them to like us. So it's like, you know, I'm going to use my smarts to see if I can, you know, be that person, that likable person that you want to like. And I feel like the older generation, they were just themselves a hundred percent of the time. Like McCoy, I mean, he didn't know what I was into or not. I mean, he would always invite me. Like he was like, man, if he was sitting at the bar hanging out, he'd be like, young brother, come on over here, sit down, you know, just like, chop it up you know if i didn't say anything like he'd bring up a few stories or 
Or he'd be like, all right, we're cool, you know, we're going to head out, blah, blah, blah. Like, he never treated me like like I was some, like, young kid that didn't need to be there. Or, you know, he just automatically took me under his wing and just we just had, you know, conversation. <laughs> mm. And that I felt like that was so beautiful. Even Betty Carter was the same way. And um, and so, you know, that for me is like the, the kind of the, uh, the common denominator I, I think I've seen in in every great that I've met. It's like there's just the ability for them to just be themselves all the time was something that I felt like that was just special. Hmm. So, so you 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 grew up in you, a kid in in Texas down. Uh huh. Yeah, I grew up in Houston. Uh huh. And and when when did when did the music thing uh, enter your your world? Uh, the music thing was kind of always there because my mom is a she's a pianist, organist, and vocalist. Also, she was a you know choir director for you know many different you know gospel choirs. Also, the Gospel Music Workshop of America. I don't even know if that still goes on, but James Cleveland, you know. Oh wow! Yeah, famous Reverend. Uh, you know, he started the whole conference like years ago and um yeah so she used to do that and so she used to always just bring me to all the shows and you know give me to play when i was a baby and stuff and yeah, um so you, and you were you were singing you were playing no i was playing the drums yeah no oh, okay no. She, she used to try to get me to sing but i was like no you know you know a couple <laughs> of times you couldn't say no but uh yeah i mean i came from a singing family and even though i you know i i, I can sing it's just you know, the people in my family actually can sing. Like my uncle, my <laughs> mom, my grandmother, my aunt, you know, even my godsons. I mean, they are the singers. And so it's kinda of, I feel like like even Zakir in that in that perspective, well, you know, you hear Zakir singing, you can hear that he can sing, but in his head he's like, Man, only if you heard my dad singing though, he's like, You want me to shut my mouth up like right now. And it's sure. like I feel the same way. Like, man, my mom and my grandmother could sing it would just bring tears to your eyes, just the level of passion and, and I'm even technique. And I, they wasn't like, I don't even think vocally trained. Like they didn't go to school for music or anything like that. It was just, that just was their gift. And, uh, and the practice was being able to sing in church, you know, every Sunday, even throughout the week and then choir rehearsal. And, um, that was the beauty of it. And so my mom, she would just sing throughout the house all the time. And she would play, and so all that music was, you know, I was just absorbing it. And then my uncle, he was trumpet player, also a vocalist, but he was the one that taught me a lot about uh, jazz. His name's Leo Pope, and uh, so when I'm gonna go over to his house, like I knew that's when I loved jazz because he was just super cool, and you know, he had the record player on, and it was just a variety of music he played all the time. He would just try to hit me to everything that was happening. And uh, and eventually I got my own record player at home and then I started buying vinyl and then just started practicing with the vinyl. And uh, that's how I developed my own relationship with jazz music. But yeah. So you, okay. So you're like, well, basically how, how young are you when you're, you're first getting behind a kit at, at, at a church? Uh, well, honestly, uh, six I was like six wow. years old because I started playing piano when I was five and, um, well, four or five. Cause my mom was piano. So I was like, Oh, I'll start there. We had a piano at home. But, um, you know, I mean, giving thanks to my mom, like she's very disciplined, which, you know, I've, I've grown to love now that I'm older. Uh, but it just at that time, it was a little bit much for me, you know, as a kid, like, she was like, well, if you're going to approach this instrument, I want you to truly approach this instrument in the correct way. And so she was really trying to teach me all about my scales and, and harmony and all this kind of stuff. And I just wasn't mentally ready for that yet. Yeah, I just sure. kind of wanted to just play on the piano and kind of discover the sound of the instrument for myself. And then, um, so, you know, because we kind of disagreed on that, I kind of lost interest for the piano even though it still remained a love. So I would kind of practice it when she wasn't around, but I, I just, you know, started developing a love for percussion 
because it made sense because I was into using my hands to like tap out certain rhythms. And uh, it was actually my grandmother, I think while my mom was cooking one day, saw me just beating on the pots and pans in the kitchen. And uh, she just looked at my mom and said, I think Eric wants to play the drums. And then uh, my mom was like, okay, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mother, daughter <laughs> talk. Right. And, um, but then my grandmother, she mentioned it to my uncle and my uncle was the one that knew of, you know, one of the greatest drummers in Houston who taught the whole tandem of Houston drummers, uh, Craig Green. And he asked him, would he be willing to, to work with a kid as young as five, six years old? And, um, Mr. Green was like, well, if, you know, if he got the gift, sure. And uh, I remember, you know, my uncle taking me over there and, you know, and right off the bat, Mr. Green, you know, the relationship, the bond was there. And, you know, he just taught me for years and years after that, you know, just really trained me up in the art of being a drummer. And and at that time, your mom was still being like, OK, it's got to be an hour of, of lessons or, or, or hour practice a day, that well, kind of thing. Or, or, well, see, or at, you were at, under his wing. I was under his wing. Yeah. At that uh-huh. point, my mom didn't really you know she didn't know what i was supposed to practice or what i wasn't supposed to practice but what she did respect was the fact that i was i was constantly getting better and she Mm -hmm. could hear from the sense of like oh wow you know my baby's actually you know learning how to play the drums like he can actually play the bass drum the snare and the hi-hat at the same time you know right and uh but then yeah yeah and then um yeah strangely i was able to pick up the instrument pretty quick and uh, and so I man, by the time I was like seven, eight years old, you know, I was you know playing drums with my mom at the church. I was playing behind these choirs, and um, and then uh, they had me playing on a uh, gospel melody hours, the channel thirty nine in Houston. And so you know, I was up late with my mom, you know, playing behind you know singers like the Clock Singers, the William Brothers, you know, all these kind of like prestige groups that would come through town. And uh, they would do a show on Gospel Melody Hour, and I would just—I was kind of like the house drummer, like I would play, and that's wow. what you know. That's why I got my chops, you know. <laughs> that's how I, got I, I can it see, together. you know, maybe late career, you do you do this gospel, big gospel album, and just kill it, man. Just bring it back <laughs> to that. Ah, cool. I mean, it's so much good. I mean, it's—I mean, the the industry is so. Just like everything, it's so saturated. I mean, I appreciate everything sure. that's out there now. I mean, maybe <laughs> like I've always wanted to do like an an album, you know, with my mom, my grandmother. But unfortunately, my grandmother and my auntie they've passed already, so I kind of missed that opportunity. But um, my mom's still here, and and she, I think she even has an album out or something. She tried something, you know how it is. Mm-hmm. Like she did it once, and you know that's the thing. The the record making process is a it's it's a big deal. Like now I'm more comfortable with it and um because, you know, now having a studio and running a label and all that kind of stuff, I you know, I'm used to the intricacies of it. But uh I just remember when she was doing it, like she was having trouble trying to find a studio and then she was you know, those old like Tascam, you know, multi track recorders you could buy and you just kinda of put a little oh, yeah, cassette yeah, yeah. in there. <laughs> exactly. Cassette, yeah. Yeah, she was willing to go that route and I was like, ah, just buy some studio time. I don't, you know, you know, <laughs> you know. We was trying to figure it out back in the day, but it's a uh, man. Wow. All right. So anyway, you're you're this young kid. You're you're somehow you got the gift. You you got. When when did you get your first like uh, bread from playing? Uh, well, yeah, playing in church. Uh, like so, you're a six, and you and they're like, okay, here's fifty bucks for the. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, probably wow. around that time it was like eight, and you know. You know, and my mom, you know, yeah. she, she put it aside because I was too young. I didn't need any of that. Of course. And, um, um, but first, I mean, real, real, like, real money-making venture was when uh, was when I went to college. Okay. And, um, and this, you know, this is kind of when my, I feel like my career really took off because, you know, at home, everybody just saw me as, you know, young Eric, you know, little drama playing with his mama, like, you know. It was no real respect of like you know oh he's going to be like the cat or he's going to do something mm-hmm. you know yeah it was only when I went to college in New York and um, my combo director at the time this guy named Rodney Green who used to be the uh, musical director oh, yeah. for the Rosie O'Donnell show and he also played with Macy uh, he's a Macy guitarist Parker, right a guitarist indeed yeah. he uh, 
I was playing, and he, he was the combo director in my combo in college at Manhattan School of Music. And I remember him coming up to me one day after class and being like, man, you know, I really like the way you play. Uh, you know, I'm getting ready to do a couple of recordings. You know, would you mind playing drums on it? And I was like, of course. And I didn't even think there was any bread at all. I was just so excited that he wanted me to play on this album. Like, I was, like, calling home, like, Mom, I'm about to be on a record, you know. <laughs> and she was like, oh, baby, that's great, you know. And I, that was just the end of the conversation. Then come to find out, it was two albums. And, um, you know, uh, each album was going to take two days apiece. So it was like uh, two days for the first album. The first album had Greg Osby on it, uh, on Ooh. playing alto saxophone, Kevin Hayes on piano, and uh, Kenny Davis was on bass. And uh, the album was called X Field. Man, I was like 18 when we recorded, 17, 18, when we recorded that album. And, uh, and it was so funny that, you know, we played in it, you know, at the end of the session. I mean, one, it was just so much fun to play with those guys, you know, to hear the level of musicality versus the guys I had been playing with in college. It was mind-blowing, and it was a great learning and growing experience for me. But then he handed me, like, $2,500 cash, like, after the session. And I was sitting there looking at him like, oh, you get you get paid for this? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> You know, I thought this was like an extension in class or something. I was like, oh, you you get paid for it? And then, you know, we had a day off, and then we did the next record, and it's the same thing. The next record had George Coleman uh, on tenor saxophone, had uh, Ben Brown on bass, uh, and, uh, man, I forget my man on piano. Oh, uh, Will Beware, who's another okay. piano player that also used to play with Maceo Parker. Mm-hmm. And um, it was great, and we were doing, like, you know, just – uh, that album was more about him. The first album was more about all of his modern tunes that he wanted to do, Rodney Jones. The second album, you know, was, was you know, I guess he was trying to do a take on, um, you know, doing songs like the Pink Panther or like the theme from Scooby-Doo or something like that. Like he was just <laughs> trying something different, you know. Right. But uh, but still, yet again, you know, he had me another $2,500 in cash and I was sitting there like, uh, uh, um, that wasn't, for both, you know, <laughs> and I was sitting there like, "Oh my god!" So that was the first time I really made any money, you know, substantial money. Where it was right. like, man, you know, it was amazing, and I didn't know it was even like that in the industry, and and gladly so because I think my idea of being a musician would have been tainted differently if I would have had the mentality of trying to make money being music. I, I really got into music just so I could play. And so that yeah. I could have communication with other musicians, and and I mean, and I guess in a way have a legacy, have something to leave behind. Um, you know, I, I was into it. I'm, I'm and I say was, I am into it for the expansion of the music and myself. You know, it's like a, it's that relationship with you know, seeing how far I personally can go with with the ideas because. It's all of those ideas, I feel like, that helps to expand, you know, my vision of the music, my vision of rhythm, my vision of harmony, but also my vision of life and um, and the things that I mean. There's something about music is just really special. Um, it, it just, you know, it has a way of just kind of broadening your mental space about things. And I, I, th- I believe that it has access to that um by way of coming through you through your spirit you know because once you expand the spirit then it's like the mind can't help but you know observe this kind of inner growth or inner ability for things to transform and uh and so yeah you know well i saw you did that album vipassana which did you did you actually do the 10-day vipassana meditation is that something uh, you've is yeah or do I you know I, about oh yeah DJ? yeah I, oh, I you didn't did do the, it. I didn't. I didn't do the ten day okay. thing, but I took. Yeah, I took a few classes, just okay. enough to kind of get a gist of the experience. Because uh, when I just uh, honestly, I didn't have the time, mm-hmm. but I definitely wanted to try it out, and that's kind of like my mo. I'm like, you know, let me just see what this is about because I, you know, I grew up kind of like devout Christian. You know, was a minister, went to theology school, and but I really again wanted to. You know, being in the industry and meeting a lot of, you know, 
notable people. I had a chance to just kind of break bread and um, have some great conversations with a lot of great minds. And um, in those conversations, you know, a lot of these guys were just kind of helping me to different things to read and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just different observations. And, I, you know, I was open. I was like, all right, cool. Let me just, for what it's worth, check different things out. So I started checking out different religions and different, um, you know, streams of thought and, um, you know, different philosophies. And so the apostle was one of the ones that came up. And it was like the first time, even after taking the limited course that I did, that I actually had a, a reason to do a studio album. Because I really wanted to, you know, musically in a way, you know, present in a, in a modern way. Because I didn't want, you know, it's easy to just go in there and you want to play all this really stringy flute music, you know. <laughs> You know that that you commonly would hear for like meditation or relaxation. Oh yeah, purposes. or just a single patch on like a, on a keyboard. <laughs> exactly. Like, this right. is my meditation album. <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know, <it's> right. Like... <laughs> so you know, you know, I was really you know in a way trying to find you know chants and and mantras and and you know it's just in my interpretation of you know how I felt the album really came to me. You know, like because it's an interesting thing. It's like how. A lot of times you go into a form of meditation uh, premeditatively. You know what I mean? Like you've already with a goal or something. Well, just with how you think meditation is supposed to be. It's like you go in there like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this meditation thing, right? And so you don't. It's only later that you discover what actual meditation is, like what really starts to happen. And it's like it's like you start in real meditation. You might come in with a goal of how you think meditation is, but what really starts to happen is just these ideal, um, uh, well, ideas of what you had about meditation start to pull away. And then you start to re- actually go deeper into something. And I hate to use the word deeper, but it's just, it, it feels more like things just kind of start to fall off. Mm-hmm. And then you start to, that's more of a revelation of really what's happening there. And it's it's different for everyone, but... For me, that's how it happened, and it was it was so beautiful. I was like, "Wow, you know, I definitely want to put this in some type of musical form, and hopefully, people can you know receive it from it." And it was the album was received very well. Like, I didn't really expect it to be received so well, but you know, I was glad people were really into it. You know, they didn't think I just kind of abandoned ship or something. So do you think, is there a, a kind of common strand between what you've discovered with the meditation and and what you kind of experienced in the, in the, the Texas church of your youth? Is there is there something that they both share? Man, I just had this idea the other day. I mean, well, just an awareness that kind of popped into my head. Um, I feel like all religions are one religion. You know, it's just people just got stuck on one principle because, you know, when truth hits you, no matter when it hits you, like sometimes you just attach yourself to it just because, you know, one is familiar and you feel like it's something that, all right, I at least saw it or experienced it this way. It's like love, right? You fall in love with somebody and it's just sometimes, even though if it's the love could have dissipated because, you know, it's just a feeling and it's just a moment in time when, you know, the chemistry was just right and, you know, y'all really synced up. But, you know, it takes work to sustain a relationship. So sometimes the love aspect of it might have died out. But you hang on to it just because you just remember that one moment. You know, I feel like that's what the the variety of religions are. It's just people got that one moment. Because, you know, you can't really hold God it's to like, like people one. are ha- hanging on to like something that happened 2,000 years ago or three. Like, oh, the burning bush. Like, exactly. oh, this guy saw the burning bush, man. Like, <laughs> exactly. It's like, I have to, I have to continue to believe this, you know. And I'm like, cool, you know, because even that's an experience. It's like, you know, loyalty and dedication. And, um, but yeah, that awareness popped in my head and it was like, you know, I kind of chuckled at it a little bit because it was, it was a form of truth. Like, I could receive it. I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah, it's so all. What, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, please. No, that was it. That was it. That was okay. Yeah. So what, what were the what were the kind of the books that people were throwing at you, like the Inai, uh, Hazrat and Inai Khan and that kind of stuff? Like what, what were people? Yeah. Yeah. You know? um, well, oh, man. My favorite one was um, 
oh man, it was the one Terrence Blanchard actually gave me this book. Uh, and I think he got it from Mogru Miller. Um, what is it? The, 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 the meditation of a Gandhi. It's been so long since I read that book. Um, Oh my God! Ah, uh, I wish I had my my books here hmm. with me. Okay, well we can find it. But anyway, uh, the autobiography of a yogi. The autobiography <laughs> of a yogi. Thank you. Oh my God! Okay. Yes, that was one of my favorites. The other one is the the Conversation with God series uh, by Neil Donald Walsh. I read like all of those, even like Friendship with God, and then like uh, I mean he had a couple of like workbooks and stuff like that that I would read. Um, other books were like, you know, uh, The Dalai Lama and the Open Heart, uh, His Holiness, The Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of uh, man, so many books that I read. Those were just the ones that really stood out to me because of all of the uh, the compassion. Um, mm. Like it was, I feel like a lot of times in a lot of cultures and a lot of religions that I was around, it was just, that was this attitude of love but the love itself didn't necessarily have compassion attached to it it just seemed like you know this was something that you needed to do but you know you kind of almost like you just had to bite down and get through the pain and just do it because on the other side was the reward and you know and I don't know it's just something about that that just didn't really truly agree with my spirit and um and I, I just feel like if we lived more in a compassionate world where people just kind of maybe took a step back and paid a little bit more of attention of the relationship that you actually have with the person that's right in front of you, you know, or that you experience on your daily basis, maybe the world wouldn't be as bad as we think it should be. But even that too, it's just an idea too. Cause even since then I, I've seen that, you know, the world is perfect as it is. It's all an experience and a relationship and, you know, you know, physical, metaphysical. It's like all these different things are happening um, for the, you know, the pure experiential process of what it is. Yeah, it's, it's all in our mind. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's, it's just that open-ended. Like, it's so beautiful. I was like, this is the shit. So... Uh, I don't want to skip in your biography the whole like angsty young uh, sitting in your room practicing listening to records feeling awkward period so that, that's I, I imagine that was a thing because that's how you get as good as you probably oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. so that, yeah so what was going on when you were in your your kind of uh, high school junior high you know oh, that, you know that was just a weird time and, you know, unruly teens, you know. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I mean, maybe I just wasn't a likable person, but, you know, I definitely got teased a lot. And uh, I equated a lot of it just because I was a very, very heavy kid. Like, I used to weigh 400 pounds. Wow. But I wasn't like, I wasn't like a bashful, you know, on a, you know, a shamed 400 pound person. Like some people, when they're big, it's just, they kind of lose a sense of confidence, so to say. Mm-hmm. And they Slink just kind of. room, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They just kind of hide in the shadows. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't that type of person. Like, you know, I came from a very uh, loud family, like, very, like, we speak our minds and, uh, you know, nobody, you know, six on the back burner and all this kind of stuff. So I was in a way kind of like my personality growing up and I maybe I feel like that maybe rubbed people the wrong way because you know the two shouldn't have existed at the same time the large and in charge thing and that's the thing I wasn't (laughs) even in charge of anybody else except for myself I was never the type of person telling anybody what to do but you know if anything I was always trying to apply myself and yeah and I just wanted to see what was happening like what was the hip thing to do and and all I I just started realizing that I just always was the was the guy who got teased or it was easy to make a joke about me. And even, you know, guys I thought they were my friends, like even they started going with the, the more popular kids because, you know, if the popular kid made fun of you, then everybody had to hang with the popular kid and you would just, again, be out there by yourself. And, um, and so I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is how this is going down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, 
That's like uh, the pecking order is getting established. Kind exactly, of exactly, exactly. Middle school, yeah, this thing. Yeah, and so and, you know, right, yeah. But okay. you know, you know, thankfully, that's what, uh, in a way, gave me the passageway, you know, to just to music, to just sit in music, listen to music, and just kind of explore, you know, what that was for me to have that relationship with music. And that's how everything came about, you know. So, you know, without the bullies, without being teased, I don't think I would have had that same relationship with music. I probably would have had more of a relationship of how people, you know, think about me or how they receive me and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm I'm thankful to all that bullying because I was able to not care about that anymore. I was like, well, if this is all people are going to do for the rest of my life, then I need not put any effort or any... um you know, reward or anything just based on that. You know, I need to think about something else. I need to go deeper into something else. And so, yeah, it just kind of happened like that, you know. But the transition of it was definitely something, um, you know, painful at times, of course. You know, you know, you did the crying thing and, you know, had the emotional outbursts and stuff like that, but... You know, again, that's all part of the experience of uh, getting past it and letting go of it and uh, moving on to something else that was just ended up being, you know, so beneficial in my life, you know, to this day. And and do you think that, like, I mean, well, this makes my head whirl with a lot of questions, but but (laughs) the first one was, do you think that, like, going through that experience just now now as you're an adult and you know you overcame that for you know that 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 physical situation like mm-hmm. does that change like your need for for people's praise or or you know how many likes you're getting on facebook that kind of stuff do you think like you you you've kind of separated yourself a little bit from that compared to other people who have kind of survived by being on top of the herd or, or somewhere close to the top. Well, you know? I, I think pure, you know, dedication to a craft mm-hmm. would just, eventually it's just, you know, it's going to become visible. You know what I mean? Because it's just, it's kind of what it is. It's dedication. Unless you just don't want to be visible. And I don't have any problems with, with visibility, like I'm not trying to run away from the masses. Like, you know, I love people and I love interaction. I love conversation. I think the difference now is just my attachment to it. Like I don't, like if it happens, oh man, it's amazing. If it doesn't happen, ah, well, it didn't happen. You know, it's like, it's cool, you know, how it it um, transpired. And uh, I, and, I, and I feel like that that was the hardest part to truly let go. It's like, is it really cool if people don't fuck with you, you know? And you're like, yeah, you know? Like, because that's, I I think that's a question most people should just ask themselves on a daily basis. Like, is it really cool? Like, you woke up tomorrow, man, it's just like nobody, you know, nobody answered your phone, you know, your text messages, you know, they didn't respond to your voicemails, nobody liked any of your social media posts or whatever. Like you didn't have any verifications or whatever. Like if it's just, is that all right? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know, if you can say that that's okay, then it's cool. Cause it, then it doesn't matter. It's like, you know, you appreciate when people do respond to it and, and, you know, but I mean, you know, that was just something kind of put in place as much as I, I do dig social media. I do feel like it has, um, kind of warped people's perspective a bit because you know the whole nature of what it is is deeming somebody more important like that's just what it is like the whole verification process you know you get verified and it's like oh this person is verified they must be something let me let me now read their bio and stuff and so but there's like all these other people in the world you know they just they do wonderful things but I, I think just the way the system is it's you know we we feel like for some reason we need this hierarchy and system like we just can't share and that's just going to be enough like you know we can't spread the wealth around so that everybody can have a little piece of the pie 
and it's going to be enough. It's like somebody just got to be a billionaire and, and somebody else just has to be, you know, supreme, supremely broke, you know, like, you know, barely can feed their kids and, you know, can uh, even afford a, a nice massage or something like that, you know, any kind of luxury or even just eating out, you know, going out to a nice restaurant. And so, you know, I think about things like that. But again, it's it's life. And, you know, who am I to judge the process in which it has unfolded? But, you know, do I have my own personal ideas of, of a way that I would like to see it unfold? Yeah. But, you know. So, so when you're like uh, <laughs> you're, you're this angsty uh, or kid, you know, the, the people are kind of dropping away. Right. I mean, for a lot of people, the particular music is like a bomb or you know it kind of soothes you or or the study of it exactly so so which which who are the cats who are the guys who or women or you know who 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 are you listening to at that age and connecting with oh well i mean primarily i mean john coltrane i mean love supreme was kind of one of the first and like you know pinnacle albums that i i just obsessively listened to that for a long time, even without realizing that, you know, the whole album was based on him, a prayer that he had unto God. Like, I didn't even, under, even understand the spiritual or religious aspects of it. I just loved the music so much. Like, it was just something about it. Like, it had that chant vibe and, like, the way the band played together. And, yeah, I was like, man, that's 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 hip. And so I just remember spending countless hours just trying to trying to sound like, actually trying to sound like train on the drums like i was trying to i was trying to play you know all the train licks but fun the funny thing is that by trying to sound like train i absorbed so much elvin <laughs> because it was just like the two were hand in hand like in order for the train thing to work you know it had to be anchored by something like elvin like elvin had a you know, I always say like he just laid down a, a bed of lettuce and you could just put whatever topping you want on it. Like he was, you know, you know, he was <laughs> he was the basis. Like he just I mean, you know, not like the the acoustic basis, but, right. you know, he was the base point where everything could evolve off of, you know, like, you know, he was the rock. He was. But also, too, like. I always want to say he was like water and it was like train could like be like a boat on top of him because, you know, his placement of the beat just allowed, you know, all the nuances that train would do to fit, you know, all around and inside of everything and whatever was doing. And I was like, wow, that's beautiful. There's also and, uh, like a, an intention thing, right? You hear this like intense like these guys are serious about what they're doing even before you know it could just be the rhythm section before john coltrane comes in and you're like okay this is this is serious this is <laughs> well i you know i think it's just i think it's it's one the testament to those guys's musicality you know it's like when i was talking about earlier with me and zakir when charles was like all right you come over here and play piano you start singing you know and you're like oh okay given given these parameters now what the hell do I do? And um and if the you know, if the musicality is in you, then you know, you, you find something, you know, and and it's probably even better because you're then more vulnerable and less rehearsed. Um and so I think within the train aspect, I'm almost willing to believe that, you know, train kinda caught those guys off guard a little bit. Like he was like, I wanna do this. And they were like, Oh, okay. And, you know, and so they had to find a way to make it work, you know, and, um, you know, because, I mean, you think about, you know, train before it really got to that point where everything was like, you know, the development of like, you know, the one, you know, minor card, you know, it it was, you know, he was super into like really trying to be like, you know, even say like Cannonball or Charlie Parker, you know, a lot of different changes. I mean, you know shoot the way he approached giant steps i mean you know you're thinking about that aspect of train so i'm thinking if i'm elvin and, and train calls me and he's like man you know come you know i'm trying to put a band together let's play you know i'm thinking like oh shoot you know i need to get my form shit together because you know 
you know, he probably going to, you know, it might be a 32 bar form, could be 36 bar form. You know, I don't know where I train at right now, you know, just the way that he's always approached, you know, harmony and all these different lines and, you know, the tempos, how fast. And then, so you're thinking about it all like that. And then you show up in rehearsal. He was like, you know, F minor, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, they like, he's like, yeah, just, just, just dance around that. And I'm going to play this melody. <laughs> and then we just going to find some shit. You know, the motherfuckers was just like, damn. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, in my mind, in my fantasy, I kind of like, I think it kind of went that way. But who knows? You know, we'd have to ask those guys again. And, um, but, yeah, I, I and the only, I guess the reason why I say that is because, you know, the reason why we love a love supreme is because of the aspect of vulnerability that it had. And the only way you can be vulnerable is just, you have to, in a way be caught off guard. Like, cause anytime you have a chance to think about it, you know, the mind is definitely going to come in and intercept, you know, you know, any like, you know, pure level of just being in the moment that it possibly can. Cause that's just the nature of it. It's like, you know, in a way it's trying to work with you, but sometimes it, it can zap away like a very pure moment if it has too much time to think about it. And uh, mm. so, yeah, I, I think training caught those cats off guard and just allowed them to just be in a space where it was like there was no preconception of what needed to be done. It was just, you know, it was more of like building a relationship together. Like, let's find this zone. And they found it, you know, like it just happened. Like they... And as you know, you know, the discovery of it was just that was that was what got us there. You know, it's like they discovered it together. So a sense of brotherhood was established and we all got a chance to participate in it. And that's the real shit with it. And I think that's what really responded to me through the music is that you could hear it. You could hear the way that they listen to each other and the way that they compliment each other. And that and I guess I'm kind of you also coming to this awareness from the backward step because, you know, playing with guys and being in that moment, you know, it's always different when somebody brings in a tune and they, you know, they force feed you the tune. It's like, no, play this tune, you know, instead of giving you a chance to just be like, well, here's an idea. Let's see what we can do with this idea. I mean, that's a whole nother world. That's a whole nother way of just approaching anything. That's actually, I, I did get to interview McCoy, and he, that was something he kind of said was like that train would be learning from you while he was teaching you at the same time. <laughs> you know, he had such big ears, you know. Exactly. Wow. And, yeah. um, you know, he talked about that, the, he, you know, the listening being like really the key thing that they could just, everybody was so tuned into each other that exactly. they could, you know, it was all happening. Yeah, you could go anywhere. Man, if you're listening, wow. you know, you can go anywhere, man. But, you know, it's hard to listen with a prime directive. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of, you know, you got to be willing to just uh, to be lost. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, that's, that's what, yeah, that's what makes some... <laughs> A Broadway production different than <laughs> right exactly than you and Charles Lloyd and Zucker oh right exactly. with no plan exactly um, exactly. Well, you know, and I had someone else to say say to me. She said like, when I think of the people who are on my side, she's like, I feel like John Coltrane is on my side. <laughs> right, <laughs> indeed, that's true. That's yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's like they're still they're still there for us, and they were there for you when you were a kid, right? You know, and they'll, they'll, it'll remain that way. Yeah. Wow. So cool, man. So this this uh, masters of percussion. What's your history with this group? Uh, I've only I got invited to to do kind of like a like a pseudo master of percussion thing once before when he did it at the um, the Manhattan Plaza in in, mm-hmm. in New York, and and that was so different, but very very profound like he had this uh this frame drummer from uzbekistan who was amazing now he would dance and you know twirl the drums at the same simultaneously playing these crazy rhythms in like 15 
And um, uh, Steve Smith was also playing drums. I was playing drums. And then uh, Ayoto, the Brazilian percussionist, oh, wow. was also there playing. And then, then it was Zakir and uh, I don't even think either Nilajra was there at the time. I forget mm-hmm. the... It was a violinist that he used to use. Um, oh, man. I, I just pray for yeah, forgiveness she... on not remembering her name. Uh, but she was great. I'm, I remember her being really, really great. And, um, and yeah, and so it was that, was, that was one, you know, kind of take on it. So I don't even know if it was called Masters of Percussion right. then. Okay. Because uh, we also did these other shows where it was just me, him, and uh, Tree Like Gertrude. Oh, wow. But those Sweet. were in uh, in in Dubai. Like, we would do, like, a show in Dubai. And then, and then in a way, it was kind of like, it was a, just a, kind of like a a beginning show because he was, uh, at the, during that time, he was inviting me to the Barsi, you know, in, uh, in Dubai, like, the, the Day of Drumming in honor of, you know, of his father, Umstead Al-Araka. Oh, and, wow. Um, and so, yeah, it would be like drums for like 24 hours, man. It was like the best thing, like as a drummer. <laughs> I mean, it's just the best thing. You, you just catch just there, just sipping tea and coffee all day and just lit on some rhythm. <laughs> I right. mean, man, it was just talk about ex- just expansion of the rhythmic mind. But um, it was, um, yeah, that was great. So I, I got invited there at least, I would say about three, maybe even four times. And uh, so it was like on the way there, we would do like some type of specialty show in Dubai. And, uh, and that's when I got a chance to play uh, with Zakir and uh, Tree Light. Man, I have this awesome story. And I hope it's in, in no way uh, disrespectful to, to Tree Light because it's, it's not meant to be in that way. But uh, it was just, I've never seen something like this ever in my life. Because, I mean, Tree Light started the show. And uh, I think we were all just supposed to play like 10, 15 minutes. And, uh, but, you know, I, I can understand Tree, like, you know, he, he was, he wanted to do his full thing. Like, you know, start off with the water bucket and, you know, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play some, some pads and, you know, then I'm going to play some drums and then I'm going to play some tabla, you know, like he's like, I, you know, pretty much like I'm a all in one, you know, he was trying to do his thing. Yeah. And uh, and I, it, you know, it was killing. But I could see Zakir, you know, Zakir was trying to keep everybody on the time thing, you know, trying to get the program. And it was interesting because I was supposed to go next, and then Zakir was like, "Nah, let me go." <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> and then Zakir went up there, and man, I don't know what. I mean, I, to me, it was just killing. But the experience of what happened, it's just like, it was the first time, like, Tree Lock, man, like, I saw another drummer shed a tear from what he heard another drummer playing. Like, it was something in there, like, you know, in the language that was just so special that it was like, you know, it was healing and in the respect. And, you know, and I was like, you know, wow. Like it was, I I remember that. Like I was like, Zakir is, he's not just a percussionist or a drummer. Like he's definitely a, a guru. Like he's somebody that is has transformed, you know, the actual instrument. Like basically, you know, I, you know, like a guru is a person that they don't even have to say anything to you. It's just their presence evokes invokes an emotion. You know, like it uh like shamans, right? Like a shaman can just walk into your space and just like shackles and shit just start falling off of you. Like you don't even know why. Like you just be like, you know, you just start crying and shit. You get all emotional. It's because it's breaking up like a lot of this baggage that you have on the inside. Like some people, you know, they might get a little fever or something. I mean, it's the weird things that be saying that happens, but it's like, it's the, you know, it's bondage that's just kind of being broken away. Sure. Man, Zakir is like that, man. Like, I've seen him just play, man. It's just, like, you just, stuff just be just falling off people, man. Like, it's just, you just, that that's another level, man. That's just, you know, that's that's it. That's the thing. That's that's it. That's the thing. <laughs> wow. Well, who else have you experienced uh, musically, like, uh, 
uh, or or where else you know uh these people who 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 bring something like that kind of magical musical well, shamanistic experience well i mean i think it's 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 different i put it like this when your ears are closed versus when your ears are open mm-hmm. when your ears are open everybody sounds wonderful and it's the truth sure. like the birds in the tree offer, exactly <laughs> everything sounds cuz it's like you can you can you can hear but when your ears are closed like it does take a special person and like it was like you know for me like charles is like that you know mccoy tyner is like that i mean all the greats that that you know they you know they're like that you know some are more conceptual based but you know i feel like for me like train was definitely like that um but i i you know having a chance to play with them uh i don't know like you know for me zakir charles and a lot of that could just be you know i played with them so long that you know i got to hear it like time after time you know maybe that's part of it but also too it's just you know just being young and i feel like for for years my ears personally as were just closed i couldn't hear you know i can only hear what i was trying to personally trying to implement like i had something i feel like i was even trying to prove myself and um i hadn't got to the point to where it was like it's cool you know let's just be here and um so you know i'm ashamed to say like you know i have that just limited experience as far as like but i'm thankful for the experience that i have had as far as experiencing that with zakir and charles and and mccoy because uh, mccoy definitely had a way of hitting those keys in the piano you know i remember people coming to the shows and they said they would start to see colors like the way that he would just play because that's the thing with playing with McCoy is that it's it's so different from the way that you hear McCoy like you hear McCoy and it's just everything just makes sense but it's so funny when you're playing with him it's like it's just sounds be coming out of everywhere and there's it's so many spots that you don't even know where to interact like it, it really takes you out of your mental space of of like there's a study of how to interact. Okay, well, I'm just going to play with his left hand. It's like, no, you can't just do that. Or I'm going to just play with his right hand. Like, oh, no, you can't just do that. Because if you try to conceptualize it while playing with him, then you get lost. And you still, and you wondering how can you get lost while playing in four? (laughs) Hmm. You know what I mean? But he created this world that I mean, I just remember sitting there and being like, "Yo, this is the craziest shit I ever heard," and I was like, "God damn!" And like, even trying to sound like Elvin didn't work because it wasn't authentic. And that was—I felt like that was the thing with McCoy. He was just like, you know, play with me, like let's play together. And it was like you start to, you know, in a way, you start to feel embarrassed because you're like, that's when you start to realize, like, damn man, like comparative to you i'm you know i i sense the nobodiness within myself like i don't even know what that is yet like like you're ready to like have this you know in-depth conversation and i feel like i don't have shit to offer you know (laughs) and so that's you know that's the kind of experience and that's you know that's that's truth man that's some yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a, a a good feeling and a bad feeling, I guess. Oh yeah, oh man, yeah. super paranoid. You up there sweating your ass off. <laughs> I mean, you sweating anyway, but you know, definitely like oh man. But that's that's it though, because what it is 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 vulnerability, and I you know my career has just been that after that after that after that. And I one thing I have seen, the more you put yourself in that situation, man, it's just it's just you just you absorb it it just becomes part of you and it's just what it is it's that thing and it's it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful you know it's it's wonderful you know expansion is beautiful all right well i think that's a that's a good note to end on right expansion. <laughs> right expansion <laughs> we're good oh you know actually there was one more question I, maybe we could just tag this on i was just curious like if uh you know, we lived in this world where you didn't have to think about any kind of uh, 
commercial concerns or would would people be into it like is there is there like a, a dream project you know logistically doesn't log, logistics don't matter any any of that like anything that you would want to like oh that you i know, would do. make happen yeah oh man dog bruh i'm sorry because i i just got real you know common with you just because i think about this all the time man there's this one thing i really really would love to do and that's just you know either take you know my band voyager or or you know just a group of guys that i always say voyager because we've been playing together so long and i love playing with those guys and we're willing to just try things you know every night you know whether of conceptual depth or just out of just hilarium but um Man, to just, man, just go around just the world and just just play. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I, you know, I, I would have to have the money to be able to, you know, afford those guys to block them out for, you know, I would like to, you know, block them out for like two, three years. And that's what we do, man. Like, we just get on a tour bus in the States and we just take the music where it just hasn't been taken before. It's just, you know, and that's what I'm saying. It's just kind of harder to do now because a lot of us have, you know, relationships and families and children. And and um, and um so, you know, it's hard to ask guys to, you know, kind of remove themselves from that, you know, uh, for no financial reward. But uh, as I'm saying, if I had the money, you know, man, I'm not even worried about commercial appeal. It's just take the music out there and just play you know you know not every day you know you want to have some breaks but you know build some functions at, at different schools and then just you know or take it to just like this one club that's never heard that style of music before like just roll in we you know we got our own you know equipment so we could just set up and just kind of start hitting and you know and it's just you're playing on ears that just aren't even you know that haven't developed an idea of how to even judge it yet so that even makes it even more interesting and i think that's something even we would be able to gain from it ourselves like we'd also be you know it'd be that mutual experience again of just kind of learning from one another i mean i i'm so into that like it's like kind of how do how do you make it work for an audience who hasn't been told this is good or this is jazz or these guys are famous or this is this is you know that that kind of thing like it bring yeah. it to like ghana or something and see Ex- how do you exactly. get over in ghana or it, cuba yeah, yeah have you gone like, to africa have you spent any time there no i've never spent any time there oh yeah, man yeah. i know right? list. yeah right gotta put that on the list i know uh lena lewick has been trying to get me to uh to benin Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like, "Yeah, cool. That would that would be great to go there." Yeah, I've only you know spent time in uh, North Africa and uh, in South Africa. Yeah, I've never okay. been east or west or central. So yeah, that would be oh man. But even yeah. more because I you know even places like that though I feel like you still even from our standpoint I still think we walk in with an idea right because you're like oh man you know these cats you know they've been dealing with some rhythms. So you just kind of start off the bat, you know, you know, think you're going to not thinking that you're going to out rhythm, you know, a, a, a rhythmic country. You know, it's like but it just becomes something so ingrained in your mind. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is this is what I got to do. And I'm, I'm man, I just I really want to even remove myself even from that thought because, sure. you know what I mean? Like, I just it's something nice about it like i i really uh respect i guess the decision that i feel like paul motion made when he just said look i'm just gonna play in new york and i'm just gonna play in these clubs and then i'm just gonna invite cats in and we just gonna you know you know a lot of time we just gonna play free <laughs> and it's i you know it's it's something intriguing about that because one you don't know where it's gonna go and uh but yet you know you expose people to something beautiful in a different way because you know how many times you're gonna play the same thing like me and my daughter was having this conversation um i I took you know the family to go see this that new horror movie us by jordan peele okay 
And, uh, you know, my daughter, she's 16, and, you know, she wants to be uh, a, a film director. So I was like, well, we need to start, you know, checking out some films so, you know, you can get some ideas about different things. And I feel like Jordan Peele, like, you know, this is just like his sophomore attempt, you know, at, you know, being a film director and a writer. And I so you get the chance to pay attention to his work, um, among other things. And uh, she had a really good idea about, you know, she was like, Dad, you know, I really want to do away with the concept that the world ends. You know, it's like she feel like it almost in every horror movie or, you know, action thriller. It's like it always comes down to that, you know, because of the things that we do in life, you know, the world is going to end. The world is going to die. And it's like it has. <laughs> so, you know, maybe we need to, you know, adopt a different frame of thought or a different way of looking at it. And I I thought, I found that to be like, hmm. yeah, girl, shit. I can't wait to see what you're about to fucking come up with. You know? You know, and I was like, killing. So, yeah, it's just like that. Like, sometimes, you know, it's so easy for us to just stick with a, an idea just because we're so influenced, you know, by the country. But, you know, they might be tired of hearing what they play. <laughs> You know what I mean? And, and and less of the fact you trying to come over there and like quasi play what they already know how to play, you know? Sure. All right. Well, enjoy your Sunday. All right. Peace.